Hey, welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Eric Klein. And my name is Paul Reismandel. And on today's show, uh, we're going to, I think we're going to critically evaluate community radio Uh-oh. and community podcasting, because it's something which uh, I know you are thinking quite a bit right uh, about right now. Yes. And that I'm thinking quite a bit about right now. And, and we may be coming at it from different trajectories and different directions, but... Uh, I mean, what we do, uh, both in this podcast and a radio survivor and what we both do professionally has to do with both of these things, right? Pretty much. I think that's what it, and we thought, well, Hey, uh, you and I could have this conversation. I think we want to have this conversation or we could have the conversation on the podcast and lucky you listener, we're going to have it on the podcast. Well, not to mention the fact that, uh, uh, serendipitously, uh, both of us have an opportunity to present a little bit of the knowledge in our heads about what podcasting means to us uh, to small groups of people this weekend. Yeah, coming up. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm next gonna, week. I'm yeah. going to be at a, a thing, a little thing in Portland called Nerd Camp, where I'm assuming about a dozen or less uh, people who paid for the privilege, uh, paid a teeny tiny amount of money for the privilege, are going to be sitting around a table. It's called a round table. And I'm going to be presenting uh, community podcasting, uh, why and what for. Actually, what the deal is, is I'm going to I'm gonna make the case that um, uh, podcasting to a very small but, but, but uh, existing audience, an audience of even 10 people, um, is still... A net plus for for everybody uh, making the case for tiny podcasting for community podcasting. That's great, and I'll be speaking to some students, some business students at the Evergreen State College in Washington via Skype. Alma mater. Your alma mater. Uh, if that's what you call it when you go to Evergreen. And it's actually a uh, it's actually a business class, but they're studying podcasting as as a sort of an example of kind of a small business and sustainable business. So it's a it's an example to, to sort of think about production, as an example to think about marketing and all these different issues, but to actually do it, which I think is really cool. I guess it's a two quarter course is it a quarter system up there yes yeah so i think it's a two-quarter course so they have a a lot of opportunity to to dig into that and so i'll be uh taking questions and talking a little bit about kind of the structure of podcasting in particular though i think it's probably relevant to uh this discussion about community podcasting kind of what you do to promote or how that all works interesting okay so so that's that's two things that we're doing. What else are we doing today? Well, you know, we had this conversation yesterday, right? We, you know, you and I will talk sometimes, believe it or not, not on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were uh, feeling a little uh, not so enthusiastic about community radio. Um, I am not certain. It basically boils down to this. I know what the role of media is. And I know what the role of independent media is and how important it is that that media is um, independent of large corporate interests. And yet, below that level, there's so few opportunities for people to get paid to be reporters. And that's where I start to question what community radio is good at because it's clearly not very good at providing a steady paycheck to journalists. And I, so what else could it, do. Hmm. Okay. That that's an interesting. Let's take up that question first, since you've articulated it very well, and then we'll jump into podcasting in a second. Um. 
you know, that, that, that's not the question I was anticipating, but that's good. That, it's, it's great. Uh, because I think, you know, the problem, that, that problem is a structural issue, right? It's not really community radio's fault. No, not at all. Right. Which is why I start to just feel um, lost. Yeah. It's nobody's fault that community radio can't pay a newsroom full of journalists to go chase local stories that matter to their communities. Yeah, because it's – and it's something which has not always been true – I think it's important to point out that community radio uh, in times like the 1980s and even the 1970s and to some extent the 1990s could often obtain uh, money from the federal government, from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which could be used to produce programming. Mm. Now, uh, it might not have been always able to uh, fund a position per se, but could definitely fund uh, hourly wages and things like this. Um, that has existed. Uh, obviously, community radio stations in the past and, and, in this, and in the current times do obtain other sorts of grants uh, from other organizations. Listener funding. Yeah, listener funding. and But I'll sometimes get like foundation grants. Okay. You know, uh, you know even like say uh, I think some uh, – there are one or two stations that get, like, say, night foundation grants around news gathering and things like this. Mm-hmm. But, but your your overall assessment is, is is true that right there isn't a ton of money out there to to hire and employ uh, journalists uh, specifically for the purpose of of news gathering. Um, I don't think that that compromise. It, it, I mean, it compromises community radio in one fashion, but it doesn't necessarily compromise community radio entirely in its ability to be a source of important information and news. Um, I think because the platform itself is still very, very, very valuable. Right. The radio signal and it's place in the community. That's why I say the platform, because it's more than just a transmitter and some microphones. It is people knowing about it. It's that sense of permanence being knit into the community, being a part of the community, which is one of the great advantages of community radio versus somebody who could just sort of start up something out of the blue or, uh, you know, out, out of nothing, if that makes any sense. And because of that, then it is an opportunity to be a place where news is gathered. And I, I specifically am using the passive voice there because through networks, I still believe in this, this idea of citizen journalism. And this is something I've, I've you know, spent a lot of time in in the early 2000s in the independent media center movement. This idea that everybody, in a way, their story is valid, their observations are valid, and they can report yeah. what they see and what they understand. And so I think that community radio can be a place that that gathers, filters a little bit, shall we say, or curates that and amplifies it. Yeah. I've, just, I've had the uh, privilege to be a community journalist, an unpaid uh, w- gatherer of news, as well as a paid journalist uh not a huge whole lot but a little bit uh of payment for my time to gather the news and the difference is striking yes and um my ability to track a story over the course of many weeks and to become an expert in it and uh get better at understanding what was happening and then get better at communicating what was happening to other people, all was uh, contingent on that stipend 
the money yes. that I was being paid to gather that news. And it's always possible to stay focused on a story like that for nothing as a community journalist. But um, in my limited experience right now, listening to people create community media, I'm not hearing it. You know, the people that I hear that are tracking the stories in a focused way are the the paid journalists for the weeklies and for even uh, even the big uh, semi-daily newspaper here in town. Um, I worry that there's not much that can be accomplished uh, behind a community radio microphone by people just talking about their their point of view. You know, I'm. You know, I. I have this. Well, I don't think it's all just about their point of view. I mean, that's I do what think, I hear. I do think there is reporting going on in community radio from outside the professional professional sphere. Um, you know, I. I it's so I, I. But I. I do recognize that a lot of it is opinion, just like what you and I are doing right now. People right? talk because that's yeah. all they know how to do. Well, right, and if and and really, if you take a step back. <laughs> And you look, I mean, you know, if we if we look at the structure of the current of, of U.S. media, at the very at uh, the very least, there's fewer and fewer paid journalists everywhere. Now, that's not my way of sort of saying it's OK. Right. What is my it's my point of saying, yeah, Van Jones, is he a journalist um, or is he really mostly someone who talks? Um, yeah. You know, and, and Rush Limbaugh, is he a journalist or is he mostly just somebody who talks? Um and it's not to say that informed it's funny opinions that you mentioned Van Jones or, you know, I, I had a I had an opportunity to follow Van Jones's uh, rising star in Oakland and Berkeley when I worked at KPFA. And prior to being a uh, well, prior to being a uh, member of the Obama administration whose scalp was claimed by a uh, 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 Fox News host, former Fox News host, um, now Blaze correspondent. Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck claimed Van Jones's scalp very early in the Obama administration. Claimed his scalp being an awful way to describe uh, digging up a little bit of dirt on Van Jones and, and, and making enough stink so that the Obama administration asked him for his resignation uh, extremely early, like in the first week or two of uh, 2008's uh, to our 2009s, uh, the first the first few days of the Obama administration, uh, that was that was when Van Jones um, became a national name, and then uh, was later hired by CNN, and now is a prominently a talking head who talks nice. But prior to that, he uh, he was an organizer and a nonprofit leader mm-hmm. in Oakland. So, so I mean, I, you know, I, I saw I, the work. I don't mean to impugn him at no, all. I know, gosh, it's, it's I really meant. Say. It's really meant to be a question. It's, he, it, it, the question is sincere. He's a frequent guest on our community and, and, radio station. And back I don't then. know that I have any answers here. So, but it's a way of turning it around, right? It's what it makes me think here is that in these days, right now, you know, in the days of, of fake news being a hashtag, and your fake news in in the post, you know, in in this, we are now in the in the Trump administration, right? There have been many calls in the last uh, three months for people to support their local newspaper, support journalism organizations, subscribe to New York Times, um, on and on in order to support the actual gathering of news rather than the, than this, the mere uh, echoing of opinion or echoing of, of things you've heard. Right. And, you know, there's an opportunity here. And I think, you know, it's something which I wrote about sort of in a way uh, at, 
after after the uh, election, I read a survivor, and I think I talked about it on the show that this is a great time. It's when we really need community radio, and in a certain way, in a perverse sort of way, it is an opportunity for community radio because I think that more so than than in a long time, there's a ready audience. There's people looking for for information and for news that community radio might be able to offer. But you brought you draw the question for alternative facts. They're for looking alter- for alternative yeah, facts. Yeah, exactly. You, but you draw that. the question, how do you pay for it? And and that's what I start to say, right. And this has been the problem this is the problem of community media has been. There's no new problem here. No. While the fortunes have have been up and down uh, over the course of the last 50 years, it is it, the, the fundamentals haven't changed. And I wonder, right, what can people, can listeners be motivated to step up their support and funding of community radio specifically for that purpose, specifically as a place where journalism can happen because there's already infrastructure there? There's already microphones. There's already probably portable recording equipment. There's there's internet streams, there's a website, there's a, uh, there's a transmitter. You know, I saw some great stuff from our local community station, KBOO, KBOO, um, uh, what is a week ago now from when we're recording during the uh, inauguration. And they were, they were going Facebook Live on the streets from Portland where there were protests mm-hmm. watching the cops. Okay. Right? Because the, the, the police here were, have been accused of being over-aggressive with the uh, protests that happened during the inauguration, the, I think on it inauguration was, to day. be specific, it was the the night before the women's march. Correct. Yeah. So the actual day of the inauguration, the twentieth right. of January, there, the the women's march was considered peaceful, and arrests were there uh, were none were were zero. Which I've uh, read some uh, reasonable critical statements that that's not the only way to measure the success yeah, precisely, of yes. the protest. But the night before, uh, tear gas. Yes, it was used to and, yeah, uh, so rubber bullets or and what? ten arrests and something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, and and but that they became very aggressive very quickly in yeah. terms of dealing with with protesters, and I I mean so I was not there on the street, um, but I was watching it on Facebook via KBU, and you can say well anyone could do that except for the fact that KBU already reaches thousands of people on Facebook, reaches thousands of people in its various channels in addition to its radio signal. And the fact that they were able to have somebody out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do not what, know the capacity because so I did was not on, ask. Okay. This is, this is probably just a, a blind alley that we don't need to go down. But when they were streaming live to the platform Facebook, mm-hmm. wh- what was on the radio? You know, it's, it's funny because I don't know because I wasn't actually in a place at that moment where I could. I'm afraid and we shouldn't. Uh, no, yeah, I don't I don't want to. I don't yeah. think we want to go down but that. I guess well, I, that, I just we don't I, one speculate. would hope that the – that there's actually reporting going on on the on the air. Well, I believe on, there was. The I mean, radio. whether it was simultaneous though, right? Because it's difficult to frame those things, right? Because it's mostly visual, right? It's difficult yeah. to frame it, but you can definitely go and you can describe it and you can turn it into a radio report. And and I and I frankly just haven't done my homework on this, so I can't go back because they do archive everything online. I can go back and listen. But I, I, I the point rather is that. I think, you know, we, you know, it's almost irrelevant on one standpoint, whether or not it was on the radio at that moment. It's a matter of having a platform, a community-based platform that has 
particular values and particular ethics in place that is able to do this reporting and able to share it in a way, you know, and because of that platform, the likelihood of dissemination goes way up than it would if it's just a single person or even some new organization that kind of comes, comes out of nowhere with that, you know, especially a, a, a nonprofit that may not have a lot of funding that, that to me is the opportunity. So yeah. the question that I, I, I say is, so can listeners, uh, can c- people in the community be motivated to step up their contributions and to see it this way? And, you know, and, you know, a contribution that is equivalent or greater than a subscription to the New York Times and the nation and Mother Jones, nothing against those publications, but not in, at least for most people in the country, not in their backyard, right? Not, not in their community, even if we talk about the national community, that there's some uh, resonance there. And that's the question. I don't know. And, you know, can, can that fun, can that funding be put together in, in a larger sort of way? Can, could there be regional or national uh, groups that, you know, can begin to assemble this funding uh, that's intended to be distributed to community radio stations or community podcasting or, or you know, I'm, 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 I don't mean to, to leave out uh, any sorts of efforts there um, in a way. Kind of like, oh, I don't know, the Corporation Republic Broadcasting, only not subject to political intervention and uh, you know being privatized by an by an administration, I'm all for public funding. First of all, let me just say that. But in the United States, public funding is there's a lot of stuff that's going to need to complex. happen first before there's a public funding for community media. Yeah, and so that's why I also wonder a little bit of grassroots organizing. Well, and I wonder if it isn't better for it simply to be private funding, but private funding that's that's run by community radio people, like a private. Fun, like, a, like, like a foundation. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's like the people who care about community media creating something privately since government would just. Uh, since it. government has, yeah, not shown itself like to be a good basically making steward. a new government. Well, and that's really what happens. Outside of, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, Maybe that's really it. I mean, you know. The other thing that I'm hoping for with community media is um, uh, supporting action over talk. Talk is so important, but uh, there's just too much to complain about on an hourly basis for complaining to be the only purpose of getting on the air. And I and 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 uh, supporting groups of people, grassroots organizing, and supporting uh, sustained and and strategic efforts to resist and to make change, as opposed to just um, pointing out well what does that look like then uh, that's that's not for me <laughs> to say let's we should move on but i that's just on my mind i, I don't know what to do well we'd love to hear from you all we clearly do not have the answers and and barely have any any proposals <laughs> um but I think the question is a good one to raise. So let us know. Uh, send us an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Tell us we're wrong. Tell us there's lots of things going on and you have examples. Tell us uh, what you think would work. Tell us what you know has worked. Uh, we'd love to know more. 
That's the way we'll put it. And um, certainly if you want to be on the show to explain more, if you want to give us your commentary, you can record it just on your app or if you have access to a studio, do that. Or, you know, just do it on a voice memo on your smartphone, send it to us as well. Just let us know. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We do uh, appreciate hearing from you uh, on these issues. Because we, I mean, we hear, you know, we play journalists here too. And, you know, we're reporting on different stories and there are times when we have the, the, the energy and the opportunity to dig further and to do firsthand original reporting on, on certain issues. And, but that's not much of the time because each of us here at Radio Survivor is, um, it's basically a volunteer as I'm well. So we're, we're facing the same trouble. Else. Exactly. When, yeah, there's a, when there's a real uh, hot story. And and your support as a listener has helped us do these things yeah. uh, as minimally as we can. And obviously more funding helps us to do it better. Um, so we certainly appreciate your support, uh, either in a, in, in a sort of a monthly little stipend through Patreon, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Radio Survivor. Uh, something as little as a dollar helps out a lot, but if you can spare more, that's great. Or in a one-time support, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support to find out how. So I am going to be hosting a roundtable, and I'm calling it Community Podcasting, and I, um, well... It's not vitally important, but I came up with a really nice uh, sentence to describe what I'm doing, and now I want to tell it to you. I'm sorry I gave you an edit. It's awful. No, you're not giving me an edit. You're we're not, not editing edit? this. Okay. <laughs> this is behind the scenes. We're trying to streamline production. Community so podcasting. Editing. What's a podcast for if you're not trying to get famous or make money? How do we define success when we make a podcast? Oh, that's That's great. That's a really great uh, setup. So, uh, and that's because the whole reason is because, let's say, in my mind, five years ago, um, I thought the point of a podcast was to uh, simulate success on the radio, more more or less. That you that you went into podcasting in order to build a gigantic audience and to uh, make a living. You know the Mark Marin model. Yeah, you know, I watched. I watched Marin uh, go from making this tiny personal project to uh, making a living with his tiny personal project, and that to me was um, the reason to podcast. And the reason I bring it up is because my my few attempts to launch my own little podcasts in the post uh, Marin era, I was trying the same thing when he was trying it. And uh, when when I didn't get a hundred people to listen to it, I felt um, like the work wasn't worth pursuing. And it wasn't until our work together and and uh, a little bit of the insight that was um, shared with us by um, uh, Barry our, Peters at uh, yes. up up at uh, in Washington State. Just, just the idea of community, community podcasting. I was like, podcasting. wait a minute. You can launch a podcast that's just for your small town? That's what radio is for. And uh, that, of course you can. Of course you can. And so the notion that you might, um, and it's so funny because now I can think of examples uh, in my past from the five years ago example uh, or time period where I knew people that were podcasting for a very small uh, group and I hadn't, it just hadn't clicked how useful that could be. 
Uh, and so that's that's the idea. I'm going to be hosting this roundtable and uh, hoping to inspire uh, a handful of people to do the podcast that they had planned on doing, but also for them to think about the audience um, very specifically, like to actually know the names of everyone in their audience and know that those are the people that they're podcasting for and with and the value in that, um, which I also have ideas about uh, based on based on some other podcasts I've tried to help out in the last few years. Um, basically that... Being being a member of a tiny community and having a conversation for that community, with that community, that advances the interests of those people uh, very specifically. So, so just people who work as, for instance, uh, urban planners, you know, that's, that's a, that's not a podcast that's going to make, uh, advertising money. Could. It could. But if you think if you put all the urban planners in in say the Pacific Northwest in a box that you could market to, that might be a that's a pretty small audience. Well, but the thing is, if you're thinking like an advertiser, uh-huh. it depends on what you're selling. Because this is this is the I mean, just so if I, you have a hundred urban planners, could you uh, sell an ad to those people? Yeah, okay. because. They there's likely something that they buy or they have the power to see purchased that costs a lot of money, right? And has a very small target. So that's how the industry press works, right? If there's like a Pipe Fitters Weekly, or you know, sure, maybe there's only X hundred or X thousand readers, but boy, if you need to sell a certain type of welding equipment, that's where you find them, right? You don't advertise it on the side of a bus. You don't advertise it on television because it's it's way too specific. But if you want to reach the pipe fitters, you you advertise in pipe fitters weekly. So yeah. so actually that is I think a, a structure of podcasting that gets overlooked often of thinking about it it's specialty uh publishing in a way. Yeah. Where I mean I I I can't tell you that necessarily that you would be able to make that uh, urban planners uh, podcast uh, sustainable, but maybe you could uh, because of the fact of, of that audience, right? And that there's people who want to reach that audience with a very specific message, and and you can reverse engineer that for all sorts of things, uh, and and yes, so maybe it will not be, you know, you're not necessarily going to have the uh, square spaces of the world. Right, the, these well-known big consumer product advertisers that are on podcasts because they want a general audience. They're yeah. looking for, you know, it's not very specific. And and and, and such what's a small the number one. these days? I remember the number you told me two years ago. I mean, generally speaking, this is very general. Uh, you know, in, it's difficult to sell ads onto sh- like general ads for like general consumer products on a shows that are much smaller than thirty thousand downloads. Yeah. Now, there are all sorts of exceptions for all sorts of reasons. So, you know, that's super general advice. But that's the sort of like, our podcast is me and my friend. We sit in the basement and talk about, you know, sci-fi or movies. That's the one that's going to need that kind of of listenership. If you're hyper-specific and you really, really know who your audience is and you can demonstrate that your audience, that's a different territory. If you can sit there and say... 
you know, sure, we have a few thousand downloads, but those people are all in this profession or have this hobby and it's very specific to them, then you may be able to find an advertiser who's interested in that particular audience. Right. That, you, you have know, to work as your own. Um, what's the word for that job? Advertising representative. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard one. It's hard to be a podcaster and a... Well, I mean, you know, but that's, I mean, it's interesting. That's exactly how, I mean, you know, whether or not we want to go down this way. I was was thinking that my round table was not about making money. And now all of a sudden, all we're doing is talking about, which is okay. Well, but I think it's important to have that perspective, right? Yeah. Is to have that perspective because it may not be about making money. It may just be about sustainability, which Uh may require money. Yeah. Okay. You know, so, and that's the same way in, say, underwriting announcements on community radio. Uh, right, which is quasi advertising. It's when you hear on community radio, someone, you know, uh, you know, this, you know, this station is supported by Fred's Pizza. Fred's Pizza is on 123 Main Street and they only offer pepperoni. Call them at 344-1212, right? That's underwriting announcements. And it's not Do very they expensive. really give out at phone numbers and at underwriting? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're allowed to give out information. You're not allowed to say, go to Fred's and tell him, tell him Jimmy sent you. Um, and you can't say they have the best pizza in the tri-state area. You That's can't a say commercial. that stuff. That's a commercial. But, you know, in, in terms of underwriting, right, and, and most businesses that support a community station understand it there, that they are reaching a smaller segment of the community than they might if they bought a block of ads on a commercial radio cluster that's <sighs> going to hit well, 18 demographics. I was also thinking, though, about sharing with my friends at this roundtable that I've yet to meet that... There are other reasons to podcast other than uh, right. getting getting money for your podcast yeah. or than getting famous for your podcast. And uh, one reason I just mentioned earlier was um, advancing a conversation in a, in a limited community, like uh, both uh, challenging and questioning and uh, moving the moving ideas forward. Sort of um, thinking about uh, the 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 usefulness and the privilege of uh, having challenging conversations with a small group of people who already have a, a, a certain overlapping knowledge who, who are a part of a community. Um, that's super useful. Uh, the other one was uh, the networking aspect of having a podcast is that when, when you host a conversation that you can guarantee three dozen people are listening to, um, it gives you the opportunity to meet and uh, stir the pot with somebody that you wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to meet. That one's sort of an X factor that that I think a lot of I think a lot of podcasters know it. Like what a useful tool it is to get to have this long conversation with someone you admire. But um, I don't know if everyone in the uh, if everyone understands that. Right. Right. And then what else? What else is good about a tiny podcast? Something that that you're not making money and you're not getting famous. Why why bother? Well, I mean, I think to some extent you're putting something into the record, right? Um, I mean, in the same way as somebody who writes a blog or even writes a newsletter for a certain number of people, it's a way of making sure that information is recorded and maybe preserved in a particular way. Thoughts are preserved. And, and and getting out there because you don't – and the great thing about a podcast is you don't necessarily control where it goes. Mm-hmm. It may go places you never uh, conceived of. It may be heard by people who uh, you never directed it to in the first place. I mean this is the 
interesting thing about internet media in general, but podcasting in particular, is that that exact it's another X factor, as you as you put it. The if you you know it, it we don't have to go too far back in time. We have to go back only about twenty years when the ability to send your voice to other people required uh, either a radio station or a lot of physical labor yeah. and money. You could call somebody. You could call somebody and talk to them. But you, if you wanted to call twenty people, that was expensive. Yeah, you'd have to take a lot of time. Not to mention just um, yeah, you know, and you could set up a conference line. Yeah, you could have like recordings on your phone, right, and have people call up and and listen. But it would cost you money. Or you could, you know, make a record. You could you could duplicate some tapes and send those out, right? You, you know, it could be like punk rock distribution. Yep. Or if you wanted it simply into print, you could you could you could make a zine. You could publish a magazine. But the the Overall uh, barrier to entry was ha- was hard. I just, and if you I, sold, and, and I'm just thinking back, if you were like, it, it was like 1995 or 1990, and and you sold 200 copies of your zine for yeah. maybe like whatever 50 cents, enough to just to pay the postage, probably. And you were a zine, so you're probably thrilled that you were able to move 200 copies. And yet people are like, only 200 people download my podcast. I don't know if it's time to transition. So this might be the sloppiest non-segue. But my favorite greener, my favorite evergreen student in the 90s, in the the mid to late 90s when I was an evergreener, was uh, an artist named MacDog who uh, distributed his music self-distributed his homemade music by buying used cassette tapes at Goodwill and uh, taping over the hole Mm -hmm. that had been punched out and then taping his album onto those used cassette tapes and then selling them one at a time, hand-to-hand, usually on on the square of Evergreen's campus, that's where I would meet him, uh, for 50 cents for a dollar. And that's... That's how MacDog got famous. Eventually, uh, Kill Rockstars, I believe, put out one of his albums after he had self self published it. But uh, yeah, that was the nineties. Well, I mean, and in podcasting, there's still a lot of validity to to the small audience. There's still a lot of validity to something which is closer and more personal, right? Where you might know the artist, not because, you know, and it's not because he or she is famous and on stage, but because he or she is knowable. They're a person like you. They just happen to have this particular inclination and this talent that they put to work. Um, why some people, you know, love, have a favorite cover band that they go to see all the time because they, they like that band. They like the musicians and they like that they're playing at their local club or bar rather than paying a hundred dollars to see, you know, the big name band once every five years when they come to the arena, you know, people, there is still something to be said for that closeness and intimacy and podcasting offers a lot of it. I think, uh, in part because people do consume it often, most of the time through like headphones on little personal devices. And, you know, the understanding that relationship is important because, because again, I think I've used this example before, but let's just say that you wanted to have a community discussion or you wanted to have sort of a gathering of people with a similar interest. 
And if you got 200 of them to show up into the same room to have this discussion or even to show up for like a – even if it wasn't like you a You couldn't a all fit in the local coffee shop. Right. You have You have maxed out – your community potential, right? So you had to go find a church basement or yeah. uh, or some other sort of bigger space. And yet, when your podcast only gets a sad two hundred listeners, you might pack up your gear, right, and call it call it a a hobby, right. a failed hobby. But would it be wouldn't it, would it be a useful thing even if two hundred people show up to watch your little panel discussion? And you would say, yeah, probably. It, you would consider that to be successful if 200 people showed up. And podcasting gives you the opportunity to have that panel right. discussion. And, you you know, your sites may even be, oh, heck, if 20 people showed up. I mean, you know, authors do book tours, right, where they go bookstore to bookstore and do readings. And I, you know, I've been to some of them. And there are times when, you know, at a smaller bookstore, there might be 15 chairs. And maybe they're not all full. Right, but if they are full, they consider it's clearly that's a successful book reading for this author. He's touring around the country, right? And why, you know, why should that not be successful if there's, you know, that many people who are interested in hearing her in, in a given city or a given town? And podcasting takes away that capacity limit. Yeah, this, right. Th- I've mentioned this before on the podcast, I think, but Jack Conti, who uh, was an internet celebrity a musician who then went on to found Patreon, Mm -hmm. which is uh, something that everyone probably is familiar with, uh, gave a talk on this, gave a talk on this at uh, XOXO Festival in Portland uh, a few years back about um, what it was like to feel sad that only 70,000 people watched his video. How, 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 how he had to um, come to terms with that as a failure. Oh, is that online? Is that, yeah. Is, yeah, well, to get that well, onto the- And we can uh, put it on the show notes. On the show yeah. notes, right. Because it's where you set your bar, right? And, you know, whereas you might, you know, if you threw a party and 10 people showed up, you might think that that's brilliant, you, you know? And to some extent, right, there's always this, There's for, for some things, there's a counter force where like, well, we don't want it to get too big. We don't want to lose, and often it's lose that sense of specialness. Yeah, have I mentioned this on the podcast? I'm I was listening to a show that I really enjoy personally, and the podcast host was talking about here he was, and he'd been working on this project now for many years. He'd put out many episodes, and he was thinking that maybe it was time to shrink his audience because he was tired of hearing from people in his audience that kept. Uh, that didn't get it, mm-hmm. that were asking the wrong questions. He's like, maybe I need a smaller audience who gets it. Right. And I, I just, mean, there, there's things that come with that. Then you yeah. start feeling like, well, I need to tend to this larger audience in a way that maybe uh, I wouldn't have to, you know, maybe, you know, maybe if not less self-centered. People, if less people just listen to my podcast, right. I could get so much more accomplished right. with the work. And yeah, maybe, you know, and maybe some people... And maybe sometimes it's subconscious. You self-censor when you know there's a bigger audience, when you know right. more people are listening and paying attention. You have to spend so much time redefining terms and jargon when yeah. if you're if you're definitely – this is something that has come up in my work trying to help other people with podcasts in the last year. That like if we could just agree now that instead of uh, trying to be this American life, we're going to be this is just for you. It's right. not. It's not this American life. It's this uh, city planners who care about social justice. Well, that's life. so important. That is so important because I think that's that's what trips up so. Ma- and I've talked to many people. That's what trips up a lot of would be podcasters or 
or podcasters who are starting out is that idea that that they want is that you ask who is your podcast for and the answer is everyone and that answer even for this american life in a way is not a great answer it's not an actionable answer it's hard to turn that answer into action and this is the thing that I, you know, and this is a bit what, what I'm going to so tell. It's so hard to convince people of this. But I know. Yeah, it's Talk to students once, at Evergreen. Once you sit down. Oh, good. Let's transition to that. But yeah, once you sit down to record your podcast and your answer is, oh, this is for everybody. It's really incredible just how much time you can waste talking to everybody. And, and just to put perspective on it, even when they produce TV pilots, they don't very rarely is do they say this is for everyone. Now, the categories may be fairly large. They may say, well, this one's aimed at millennial men. They might say this one is aimed at women aged 18 to 35. They may say this is aimed at an urban African-American audience, this age group, right? Yeah. But yet they, and, and, but it gets slimmer and slimmer too, right? They, they, there's, there's more, there's smaller uh, categories because there's an understanding that yes, um, Shows like CSI or uh, you know the Big Bang Theory end up often with large <laughs> generalized audiences, that, but, re- but that you can't. But it's very hard to design that out. Of the when gate. I was a kid, I read uh, I read Howard Stern's book because that was a thing. Private you did. parts, yeah, yes. And uh, I think it's he, still. I don't know. If he it's talks still my about bookshelf. he talks about before he was Howard Stern when he was just some guy working at radio stations. One of his bosses said, "This is your audience," and he brought him. Uh, stock photographs of of Americans mm-hmm. from basically from magazine ads. It's like this is your audience, and it was all just like probably I think according to Howard Stern or according to my memory of Howard Stern's book, all just like uh, boring white people and blandly, uh, you know, gap wearing mm-hmm. Americans. And uh, and and he was telling Howard Stern to uh, to dumb it down and to talk to these people. And Howard uh, insisted that his freaks. And geeks were uh, much more interesting, and he was going to continue to broadcast just to them. But that's meant that he knew his audience, yeah. that they were the freaks and geeks, right? And uh, that is so important in podcasting. Is And the reason why it's important is that podcasting is opt-in. Nobody hears a podcast by accident. Especially because people listen with headphones, right? So you can say, well, you might listen to accent because somebody's listening to a podcast while, you know, and you walk in and you're like, and I'm like, that is a 0.000001% of the time because it's likely that person is listening on headphones and the likelihood that you're going to get accidentally exposed to it is very low. Television, broadcast television, whether it's cable or, or, or over the air, broadcast radio, you can stumble upon people accidentally hear it all the time in a cafe, in a store, you walk into a bar, there's a TV show up on, uh, on the television, uh, or you're flipping the channels, you're flipping yeah, the dial the flipping of channels. There's all this opportunity for people to, to accidentally encounter your, your thing and to sample it. And in that moment, instantaneously decide I'm going to leave the dial here or I'm going to continue to watch it, or I'm not going to ask the bartender to change yeah, the channel. But to podcasting. The it's uh, only it's only by choice. It's only by choice. And on top of that, the choice to tune out is fast, just so like it is in broadcast. Why does that matter to my uh, 
my little round table of of uh, or or two students at Evergreen who yeah. want to make podcasts. It matters because then if you don't know who might opt in, then nobody's going to opt in. It's no you have, you have to make a decision about your audience. You need to make that decision. It's a right? hard decision because you're excluding somebody. And I think what kind of foils people a little bit, what interferes in that conception a little bit, right, is is the memory of the of the recent past. People are like, well, well, but but some of the most popular podcasts are just a bunch of guys sitting around talking about tech or a bunch of guys sitting around talking about this topic, and it just worked. And we can't turn back the clock to a time in which there was a sort of uh, when the pool of podcast listeners and the pool of podcasters, there was some equilibrium there, <laughs> if you yeah. will. There were many fewer listeners, but there were many fewer podcasts. And because it was sort of an unknown thing, I think podcast listeners who were a less you know, we're much, uh, we're more rabid. We're more into it. We're, we're, would actively seek things yeah. out and actively look for new I podcasts. I feel like 99. And there were fewer of them there for you to find. 99% invisible has sort of been a, a recent albatross <laughs> where like, um, a lot of people think that they can mm-hmm. make a 99% invisible audience. They can reproduce that success. I mean, the thing is somebody will. Right. But the, the, the but as it is with all these things, it, not everybody can, because I don't think the numbers are there to support it. Yeah. And what did what did Roman Mars give up by uh, by making something so successful? It'd be interesting to ask him if he uh, if he ever had the time. Well, and, and it didn't hurt that he was working in public radio. Yeah. It didn't hurt that he was at a good station. It didn't hurt that he does and has had. I don't know if he currently does, but did have distribution. Yeah. Two I actual think about, radio stations. That's a little distraction. I always think about Roman Mars's success in that regard. I mean, and that's no slag on Roman Mars because no. the guy is talented. Well, I think I think what happened was he fell into a remarkable uh, historical pit of uh, any other time the people with Roman Mars's remarkable talent would have been ensconced within a public radio right. uh, a career that was stable, secure, and kept them very busy. And- for for reasons of timing, Roman Mars at the at the age in which his career should have been um, on its upward trajectory found himself pretty much uh, he had if he didn't become an entrepreneur who founded his own show that was mostly distributed by the internet then he wasn't going to make anything. Yeah, he I was, mean, there's and so he had to be a podcaster. We can't account for timing, and and we can't see it coming, right? We can only look backwards and say, oh. There yeah. was a moment, but at that moment, it's not, you know, there, there, there's a rare person who knows the moment just as it's about to happen. Now, certainly people make guesses and bets and they hope for that to be, but they don't know it. So you're going to be talking to business students at Evergreen and it's not going to be about, it's going to be about the business of podcasting? In part, yes. I was hoping it was going to be about why your small business can also uh Use well, I mean, podcast. I think it's I think it's all the above. We'll see okay. what the questions are. We'll see what the questions are. Right. Um, that that's going to be a big framing part is what the students have to ask. Cause Cause the and, the and, business of podcasting. Well, it's important to understand it because I think the business of podcasting can be about it in that form that we were sort of talking about in that it is an adjunct to your business. That's the business right. of podcasting. I'm worried. As much as, I'm worried about the students who uh want to get paid to podcast, launch their podcast, uh, don't get paid, 
and only do five episodes. Well, I mean, that's going to happen. <laughs> but then, see, I, I'm excited about the people that will do 100 episodes despite the fact that they only have six dozen listeners. But here's that's the thing about entrepreneurship. Anyone who is only going to do the five episodes, you map that onto any other entrepreneurial activity mm-hmm. and they will meet with the same level of success. Mm-hmm. Right. You, I mean, I think you have to be sort of committed to it beyond uh, a certain point because – it's the rare case in which success comes fast. So what are you going to tell these kids, these well, students? Some of so them will be grownups. The big thing is that it, the opt-in part is super important, that you have to start with that premise, that somebody is has to choose to listen and choose to keep listening. And you need to figure out what is their reason for doing so. And if you don't know or have some sense of who they are or what their interests are, then it's very, very difficult to then make sense out of why they would listen, right? And to figure that out. And it's not a matter of pandering, right? It's not a matter of lowest common denominator. It's a matter of thinking, well, what might an audience need from me or people I work with that we can supply that would be of interest? Why would people tune in? Why would they listen? And then once you figured that out, then there's the hard question is, and how do I make sure that they know what it even exists? Yeah. Because again, sure, are there people who go to Stitcher or iTunes or Google Play and kind of browse around looking for, for a show to listen to on keywords? Yeah, of course, that exists. But I think more often than not, people find out through other methods. I mean, social media certainly is one way. Friend recommendations is another way. The press, things get written about. And the press can be... You know, not necessarily the New York Times, but it could be if you were an urban planner and uh, you get like maybe a, a, a weekly or monthly email newsletter from some planning association. They go, oh, by the way, you all should know there's this great new urban planning podcast you should listen to. That's a way people might learn about it. Right. Because in that particular situation, you have a sense of who these people are. And how email you news groups. Or, right. Any number of ways. But. If you don't know who your audience is, and it's very difficult to know how to get to them, or right? And you say, well, I'll just create a Twitter account and I'll tweet. Right. But if no one follows you, <laughs> right, you know, then that's difficult. Well, I'll get some famous person to, you know, I, you know. And so that's often a, a sort of a, a tactic that I think is sort of slowed in its popularity. It's like, well, I will just ask a very famous person to be on my podcast and then hope that their, their audience will follow. And the interesting thing about that is it doesn't necessarily work. Isn't that a shame? I once had a, um, I once had a, uh, a crowdfunding campaign that I was uh, 1,000% invested in. And uh, I thought as long as like if I could just get buy-in from some famous people, I would succeed. And I did. I managed to get buy-in from Cory Doctorow of Boing Boing. You know, he boosted our campaign. Mm-hmm. And I managed to get Neil Gaiman to retweet it. Mm-hmm. And those, that that did not equal success. No, I was shocked because I mean they terrified. It, yeah, it it I mean because it takes something more than that, right? And mostly, and and any other part of it is okay. Let's just say that you've got some show, um, and maybe it's about science fiction and literature or something. So you get Neil Gaiman and Cory Doctorow on your show. Uh, so maybe that episode will have more downloads than typical. 
Yeah. But then there's the next episode when neither Cory Doctorow or Neil Gaiman are right. on your show and people go, oh, wait, okay, yeah. well, I just wanted to hear Cory Doctorow or Neil Gaiman. Yeah, I have the same. <laughs> I actually, I have the exact same experience where I had a my, my little podcast from uh, 2007, 2008, 2009, perhaps. Uh, I, I put out an episode with Cory Doctorow. Cory Doctorow uh, put out a link to that episode in his channels hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people listen to that episode uh but that we, we, we had the same experience with the radio survivor podcast that didn't our change first anything. podcast right is our first episode is the most listened to episode uh because uh we had shine holman on she from the uh free music archive and the free music archive has a following yeah and uh they promoted it very nicely we really appreciated it and lots of people listened and did not come back for episode number two. Uh, and that, you know, it's great to get an exposure. And I like to think that at least, you know, some of them did stick around. But right, it, they were there for that interview and they got what they were looking for, yeah. which is great. But it, it is not necessarily the key to success. And, 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 and I can't tell you what the key to success is, but I can tell you. You can't? <laughs> I can tell you, you know, things that seem to work. Knowing, knowing your audience, knowing how to communicate with them, understanding what they may want are all really, really important. Yeah. Now, can lightning strike? Does occasionally the podcast that no one could figure it, that that was, you know, someone just, you know, like a welcome to Night Vale or something like that. Does that happen? Of course it happens. But the problem is exactly the metaphor. It's lightning striking. You know what I, I so I've been, um, I've been using a platform to uh, be a freelancer. Uh, called Upwork and uh, working as a podcast editor. And I look every day for jobs in podcast uh, on Upwork. And there was a job this week and they were like, we want you, a prospective employee of our podcast, to uh, build our audience. We want to grow. We want to be, we want 10,000 new listeners next month and we want to grow from there. And uh, we currently have 500 listeners. And I wrote to them and said, hello, uh, anybody who contacts you via Upwork and guarantees you that they can get you those listeners are lying to you because they would already be, if they had the secret, then they wouldn't be on this platform. <laughs> they they'd, they would uh, be very famous and have their own company, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they'd, they'd have their own network. Because yeah. if, if you can just sort of release shows and get 10,000 listeners like that, uh, then you, you want to be running your own network. And then I said, you have 500 listeners? That's amazing. Yeah. How did you get those 500 listeners? Those are your real – That's you don't need someone on this platform. You don't need to hire somebody to, uh, you just need to keep doing yeah, that. Otherwise it's like those, Hey, get 10,000 Twitter followers or right. you, on Instagram, you get spam. I read a people. wonderful article once about just how, how useless it is to get a new click from a fake person right. because it just dilutes the, the, it, it dilutes the value of your real yeah. And, and that's really important. So uh, first of all, did who... those guys write you back? No. <laughs> yeah. It's their loss. Free advice. Um, their loss. Yeah, they should have paid <laughs> you for that. Um, but I think that's really right because it's sort of, uh, you know, there's this parable about, you know, the parable of the dog with the bone. Tell me the parable of the dog with the so bone. So the dog with the bone walks by a pond and looks in the pond. Yeah. And, and what does the dog see? 
It's a dog with a better bone. A dog with a bone. And the dog thinks to himself, oh, I'm going to get that dog. I'm going to get that dog's <laughs> bone, right? And so what happens? He, he goes to bite that dog's bone, drops his bone. Now he has no bone. And I use that parable because it's so easy to get sort of consumed with the people who aren't listening mm-hmm. or to get consumed with the audience you wish were bigger that you, that you fail to properly appreciate yeah. The folks who pay. And that's you have why 500 we, listeners. Right. That's why we who always end people? our show with a thank you. <laughs> because we really do appreciate whatever time you're spending with us here and a little bit of your attention. We, we don't want to take it for granted. We hope you, you appreciate it. We, we, if you have feedback, we, we really do appreciate getting it. But we, we, we don't want to take it for granted. And we don't, you know, we don't want you listening right now to feel as though. Uh, you are not valued because you are somehow not also 10,000 more people. <laughs> right. That's, that one goes way back. I, that was a, a lesson that you shared with me on episode four or five or 10 of the Radio Survivor yeah. podcast. Like who wants to go see a band and that for whatever reason doesn't have a good turnout. And so they're kind of like, well, screw it. We're just barely going to phone it my in. My favorite version of your metaphor was who wants to go to their friend's birthday party and they show up and there's only half a dozen people there so their friend is sad and doesn't have any fun with the half a dozen people who did show up who are their friends yeah their friends showed up to their party it's gonna make you feel like a lesser friend right well nobody came to my party yeah but you know and, and i think that that's 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 very true of podcasting because the, the the interesting thing that seems that seems to be a lesson of social media, it's a lesson like of crowdfunding. It's a lesson of the internet, right? Is that with everyone having the opportunity to have a Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, Facebook account Live. or any of these things, is that everybody who's listening to you is also part of your street team. Right. Street team is this sort of idea that comes out of indie rock. Right. This idea of of where, uh, you know, and it comes from, you know, the early days of punk rock, where these were folks who are your super fans who are willing to go out and literally go on the streets and, and like put up flyers, hand out, you know, cards or maybe even hand out demo tapes on your behalf. Right. Your team who is out there willing to do your promotion for for you because they were super fans. Because you were like, you know, because your band wasn't uh, a big, you know, you weren't Journey or nor ACDC or like a local punk band. And, and you know, the difference between you and your audience was that you just happened to have the guitars and be on stage. Um, that's the same thing in podcasting. Your audience is ostensibly also possibly your street team, your people helping you to promote, turning other people on to what they're into. And I think that that gets left out of that narrative yeah. of early podcasting. That's what I also wrote to those folks. Mouth. I wrote, keep doing, keep making a great podcast mm-hmm. uh, so that you keep your audience engaged. Right. I will help you make great podcast. The audience will grow if it will grow. And we, we, you know, and, and very I, I keep thinking about to myself, it. we, 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 we thank, well, we should be better about thanking, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, and, we, and I think, you know, when people write us, a lot of times we say, you know, we mention them on, on the podcast, I like to, you know, uh, say, you know, thank you and answer questions. We get a lot of uh, emails from a guy called the, the Dude, uh, who's one of our great listeners. And, you know, he's a proselytizer. Hmm. Like, I get, and dude, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but he's, he's told me, he's emailed me, but he's told us, like, he'll mention the show on message boards. Yeah. What does he like about our show? Um, 
I suspect he likes that we talk about nerdy radio stuff. <laughs> you know, when we talk about part 15, right, the legal unlicensed uh, broadcasting on AM and FM, uh, I noticed that our discussion about how uh, New Zealand has a higher power limit for unlicensed uh, sort of uh, community radio, uh, that, that got shared and I saw him and other people discussing it, like listening to our show and discussing it, saying, oh, could that happen in the U.S.? So, you know, we really appreciate everyone kind of that, that, it, that provokes conversation. You're having these conversations and the fact that, that you're telling people, telling one other person is fan freaking tastic. Telling, you know, whether and however you do it, a message board, Twitter, you just, you know, tell a friend, you email them, you, you know, you say, hey, you really got to check this out. We love it. We really appreciate it. And it's core, I think, to every single podcast. I remember the other reason to podcast to tiny audiences. And I learned it from doing this work with you that um, it's it's a it's a lot like uh, the wisdom behind uh, keeping a journal. Yeah. Uh, on a consistent basis. And it's. um. It's a it's a it's a letter you write to yourself to remember what matters to you. Yeah. And so when when you and I meet every week to talk about what we care about regarding non-commercial radio and community radio and college radio and podcasting and community podcasting, it's it's a it's another it's another opportunity to remind myself and to reaffirm uh, what I what I care about in that realm, and uh, when you podcast, it, it, you know, especially when you listen to yourself, mm-hmm. which is um, what a what a useful tool it is to record a conversation you had one day, and then six months later, uh, remind yourself what that conversation was, um, because there are lessons that even you can teach yourself in in the future. Right. You know, so a friend of the show, John Anderson, professor at Brooklyn College, uh, has been keeping a blog now, I think, going on probably 17 years or longer, um, called DIYmedia.net. And ostensibly, he started it to sort of track uh, pirate radio and licensed radio. But of course, it's grown in scope to take into uh, account his many interests uh, research interests in part, you know, about HD radio and radio policy and things like this. But when I first met him, again, about ne- nearly 17 years ago, you know, he said, it's basically, he goes, I-, I write it almost as like, yeah, a public log as a way of like, it's a way to form my thoughts into something coherent about something important to me at this particular moment. And then I just share it. And his website is this tremendous resource at this point, an unparalleled resource if you want to learn about unlicensed radio, how it intermixes with policy, how it intermixes with low power FM. And even and, and, and it's also a great resource for people who want to know more about how kind of standards get set, like HD radio, because he's he wrote the book literally on it. Um, but much of that early research in his following is in 500 or 750 word chunks that he's written on his blog, DIYmedia.net, right? And that's the same thing. He, he His form is in a blog, but I think it's the same basic objective. And I think, and I want to interrogate this idea of tiny audience a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's fine. I mean, I think certainly for uh, you advertising this uh, session that you're going to do this roundtable, uh, it makes sense because it helps people kind of put their mind to it. But I think it's a very recent phenomenon 
where 200 people is a tiny audience in sure. some ways. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of even less. Even if you only have 10 people. Right. Every, even if 10. Because there are probably 10 really, really, really amazing, cool people. Well, yeah. And what if they're all your... <laughs> but I mean, yeah. even if it's all your friends. And even if the only purpose of the podcast is to have conversations with those 10 people and the only people that listen to it are those 10 people, yeah. I'm still... I still want uh, somebody who didn't think of it before to think of that as an exciting project that they're ready to work on today. Because there are people like, you know, there are folks who are talented piano players and the only time they play piano really is when everyone gathers around and they do sing-alongs and they play for other people. Does that any less use of their time or knowing how to, is it a waste of their talent to do so? Okay. I think not necessarily because it, it's performing this function. And, and, and I think you're right that, that podcasting can perform a lot of functions. Yeah. Because it is communication and it's communication, which is inexpensive to produce, inexpensive to distribute is, and, and it scales really well. It's trivial for you as a podcaster to go in in one way to be able to 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 uh to go from one to a hundred thousand people. Now finding those hundred thousand people is one thing, but if let's say you have a if you are a band and you want to all of a sudden play to a hundred thousand people, that's a problem. Yeah, because you got to find a space where a hundred thousand people fit. As a podcaster with with any major platform. You don't have to make any change. So if it turns out that for some reason 100,000 people want to listen to your podcast, uh, you're ready to go. Some of them, this is a distraction, some of them charge you a little more money if you get a larger audience. Perhaps, yeah. But most of them these days are pretty much flat fee for uh, SoundCloud, for instance. Yes, which, SoundCloud you know, does We hope still exists in six months, but <laughs> uh, does not charge us. We, we pay whatever. We pay our annual fee and and, uh, and it hosts us. And that's part of what why we ask people to help the last, us out with some the last time I checked, so we do pay the, for it. The last time I checked, the package that, um, 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 not Podbean, the other one. What's the one with the- Libsyn? Glitter? Libsyn, the guy who's driving a little- uh, 2006 version of an of a iPod. That's their their logo is still a guy in an iPod. Is it? It's really funny. Yeah, because it's very very obsolete. No one listens to podcasts on that thing with the little wheel with the but and I Lipson love looking at it. has their own podcast, you know, where they talk about podcasting. But they I believe that they have um levels of, they have tiers. of Yeah, and if you actually get a big enough audience, they they expect a little bit more money for your hosting. Okay. Well, anyway, anyway. but it's going to be a lot less money than building a 100,000-person uh, stadium. <laughs> it's still going to be a lot easier. Yeah, and I mean, if you put your podcast on YouTube, for now, yeah. we know that that's a stable place that Google maintains for the privilege of selling advertisements, which is uh, what they do for a living. So uh, you can you can have a million... Uh, hits on your YouTube, or you can have one, and it's yeah, still free. Yeah, and there's, there's Mixcloud, which does not charge you as well. The the main gosh, uh, and if you're in the future, find your own. <laughs> yeah, I mean the main the, the main the main issue with like a YouTube or Mixcloud is that uh, there's no downloads. Turned into a different yeah, it's turned into a different discussion. Hasn't yeah, it? yeah. That be you know the, the great thing about podcasting is someone can download it and listen to it anywhere, whether there's internet or not. Right, it's chief. That's so funny. Yeah, 20, 20 years ago, that was actually a much bigger concern. There seems to be internet everywhere and uh, yet, in this moment. And yes. yet, you know, and, and you could say, oh, well, there's internet on planes. I'm like, yes, but you pay nine ninety five, dollars for everybody. Yeah. for the privilege, not right? for we're everybody. Not, and I think we're still a ways away from 
everyone having internet all the time that is also sufficiently inexpensive that there's not uh you know a penalty basically uh, i think we're still it's going to be a while bef- until you have to think a little bit about the oh i'm on my home wife my home network or i'm on this other network that doesn't cost me per kilobyte or per megabyte and i and i can you know download some stuff for later I think it's going to be well, going to be a while until that is a that universe goes away. But anyway, I think we've uh, I think we've pretty much come to an end here. I think we've uh, exhausted this topic. Not that we couldn't keep talking about the same well, thing course, for another we hour. Really, we really because we, we really care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it's something we honestly care about, and we we, we 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 like to think that it's something that that folks in our audience care about or find interesting. And we and if you have an opinion, we we'd love to hear it. Or opinion or a question or, or questions ideas. Let us know. Send us an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. I do really try hard to respond to everybody. I'm sure uh, there'll be somebody who's like, hey, you didn't respond to me, in which case email me back and and say, hey, you didn't respond to me the first time, jerk. Uh, You said you'd respond, and then I will. Because all of us have those. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing what your students at the Evergreen State College ask you. uh, What does a student dream of in 2017 when they think about a podcast? I mean, I have a clear idea what they might have dreamt of uh, in in the year 2008. When I was an evergreen student, but gosh, it's well. Uh, I mean, I talked to Vassar students world. a year ago, yeah. a little more than a year ago, and I shared some of that. Even that—that's like twenty years ago. If well, I mean, I'm being I'm being ridiculous, it but was like literally a it, year ago, <laughs> a literally a year ago. But in the world of the internet, yes, yeah, so where so much changes so fast, uh, where where what is a podcast changes so fast? I mean, I guess it's stabilizing quite a bit at this moment, but. Uh, you know, thinking about um, where how far we've come yeah. in podcasting. Absolutely, uh, and of My course, day. you know, uh, you can you could comment to us on on Twitter if you can fit in 140 characters, or on our Facebook page, uh, which is uh, just look for Radio Survivor on Facebook. We're easy to find, um, and we'll have some show notes because I think there's some links to some older episodes plus that uh, Jack Conti video. I already emailed it to you. Oh, wonderful! So that'll be at radiosurvivor.com/slash podcast. Um, we have show notes for every single episode. This one is number seventy nine. Number 79. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We really appreciate every single moment. Have a good week, uh, everybody. Have a good week. And as Ed Wood said, the great Ed Wood, print it. <laughs>